Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 23 of the Soda City Sit Down podcast. There's not a lot to talk about this week, but we've still got a massive, massive week for the podcast. We have our very first interview uh, coming in on the backside of, of this episode this week. Um, we You might have seen it on Twitter. We were hyping it up a little bit. But we have former Gamecock pitcher Cody Morris and former Wake Forest second baseman Jake Mueller. Uh, they join us for an interview, so uh, make sure to keep on listening and uh, and catch them on the back end. It's a pretty great interview. A lot of really cool insight on on a pair of guys that you know both saw good success with their schools. Uh, both played in a super regional. Uh, both came just a game away from Omaha, so they got to talk a lot about that. Um, a little bit about you know minor league life and and draft stuff. But um, I'll, I'll I'll just give that. That for the preview, I'll, I'll let the rest of y'all uh, um, to listen and, and, and listen for yourself about everything. But it was really great, a lot of fun to talk with them last week. Um, but but really, uh, uh, you know, it, we're back to really focusing on on sports this week, um, which is is good to be able to slowly transition back into that um, with everything that's been going on in the last in the last week, two weeks or so. But uh, but the biggest thing in the news, uh, at least as pertaining to our podcast. Is that is that football is kind of back, right? For now, we say for that. Now. For now, we talked, uh, we talked a couple of weeks about uh, weeks ago about how the NCAA was uh, allowing men's and women's basketball, as well as college football, to come back in some capacity to be determined by uh, their programs and conferences. And then later, it was announced the SEC was allowing it as of June 8th. So um awesome news to hear the guys are back out there i imagine it's probably hell for them uh having missed all of summer practice it whoever was able to work out over that long uh layoff period will definitely probably be shown and uh the people who did not work out are probably struggling really bad especially with yeah, how hot guys are in the weather right now is terribly oh. humid and muggy like there's <laughs> the worst time to get back dying. into it Matt, I, I didn't even think about that, but you're right. Those guys probably hate their lives. I think the other thing that's really good for South Carolina is that we we went back to practice and there was no like big announcement like X number of players from South Carolina have COVID or are injured. Yeah, so that uh, you know that was actually addressed by Muschamp, um, and we'll talk about it um, a little bit in here in a second. But you know the uh, the pretty much the entire team um, was it last Friday. Um, or last week at least, took um, they participated in um, in one of the protest marches in Columbia uh, last week. And you know, of course, you know when Muschamp is somewhere, you know the media is going to follow. And they were talking to him a little bit about everything. And and you know, you say, well, at least this didn't happen. But I don't. I from the sound of it, I don't believe Muschamp has the ability to really talk about if if there was any COVID cases. Uh, I think HIPAA laws. Or, or well, other other programs have been announcing it. Okay, yeah, Alabama, and, and so announce, yeah, yeah, like Alabama, like Boise State, like a bunch of random schools. I mean, they don't say who; they just say like, and they can't say like what team they're on, but they just say like, it's like many five, yeah. yeah, five athletes have tested positive for COVID nineteen, uh, and so then based off of like which sports have come back, you can like assume, but you still don't know. Uh, gotcha. Yeah, I did see. I've seen that. Um, so I was just going by what someone said on the radio. Was talking about HIPAA laws. Um, yeah, I mean they can't yeah. say specifically who it is. 
Yeah, but it sounds like uh, what we're going to get out of uh, Gamecock football is that we're not going to hear if anyone has it or if anyone doesn't have it. Uh, they're not going to tell us either way. So who knows? The whole team could have it. Mystery. Have it. Yeah, we'll leave it up to your discretion. But it is great that they are all back. Um, I'm sure it's going to be, like Matt said, it's going to be tough for a lot of guys, and it's going to be different for a lot of guys. Uh, um, you know, it's a really brand new way of doing things. Um, I think I saw that they're splitting, uh, splitting like time in the weight room up in like three, uh, three periods in the day, and you know it's like separated by an hour, hour and a half. So there's time to clean down all the equipment um, in between sessions. Um, you know everyone has to enter through one door and exit through another door. So it's uh, a a lot of new guidelines. It's I mean at least they got that new facility. There's a lot of space to be able to social distance or whatever um but routine changes like that in terms of like like weightlifting or anything can be can really suck just just that alone like some people are like really used to working out in the morning or something and after you get like on a roll like that to have to switch up and have to go like either morning or night it's gotta suck yeah i mean they had a pretty big shift just because we have a new strength and conditioning coach anyways true yeah yeah but i mean it's for the better at least i mean I'd rather them have to worry about that than not to worry about what we used to have. So, but so, um, you know, it's 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 good to have everyone back. It's good that we are, um, we're getting towards, you know, sports happening, um, uninterrupted. Well, maybe not uninterrupted, but you know, sports happening. We'll always put it at that. Um, it's good that we are getting back to that and getting back to a major sport happening with with college football, and of course, with that would be the NFL. So. It is a lot to look forward to and, and seeing what comes along. Um, getting back, you know, what we were talking about, like I said, you know, pretty much the entire football team uh, took part in that march last week um, in Columbia, which is really great. Uh, you know, there is, you know, we've seen a lot of coaches that have and have not said anything. Um, you know, don't want to name names on who has not really said anything, but I think we can all, you know, power. <laughs> Oh, wait. Love seeing Muschamp out did there, you, dude. Did you, did you sneeze, Clayton? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. I just had something caught in my throat real quick. <laughs> uh, yeah. Me. So there might be a certain coach who wears a yeah. certain color that doesn't rhyme with any words um, and coaches in the upstate of the, of the state. You know, uh, that might be uh, not talking about anything at all. Oh, Anderson University, yeah. right? Yeah. You're talking about Anderson? No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Presbyterian. Really, really oh, right. Close, close. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, it really is great. Uh, you know, I, I've seen a lot of, like you said, a, a lot of coaches that have come out and said things and a lot of coaches that have said great things. Um, but, and it might not be that I, I might be missing it in the media, but I haven't seen a lot of coaches and teams that have done what our team did on Friday or last week. That's and awesome. which is, which is really great. Um, you know, it's it, it. I think it really says a lot. Um, that I think this is a lot from Muschamp. Um, that you know that he. You know, I've heard one of the players said that you know it wasn't like a. Um, like he came to the team and was like, let's let's do this. Um, yeah, like, some some assholes got on social media saying like, wow, Muschamp got us 15 minutes of fame. Like, nah, he he was there the whole time with his whole team, which I imagined was something that they all coordinated together that he was probably a big yeah. part of like right. and he like led the charge too if you're yeah. if you're a clemson fan this week like congrats on your team being good but in the end like they didn't look good at the end of the yeah, week our guys looked 
fantastic this week. While I know I got to shout out some like Clemson players too, like former Clemson players, uh, Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins. All this yeah. time, we didn't know about DeAndre Hopkins and why. And during his uh, NFL interviews, he was always he would never say Clemson's name. We finally find out it's because of the uh, oppressive figures that some of the buildings are named after. After and he's always been against that for what ten years now, maybe. And that's like yeah. what he fi- we finally get the reason. This whole time, I thought he like hated Clemson, which I don't think is the case, but um, certainly some some different views there from what a lot of uh, has come out this week with everything going against the uh, names of some of the places. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it's good to see, you know, these people taking, you know, using their platform and to, to take part in activism. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, and I'm not taking away from, you know, Deshaun Watson or DeAndre Hopkins, but just being able to see those guys do it and like, as college students because it's it, i feel like it's it's you get a bigger platform being in those guys shoes and it's still great but i mean it just that they are having that that accountability and that um and that leadership quality instilled with them um at a university and our university makes it even cooler um to, to see that happening it was also cool that jay yurik got a yeah i was about famous. to say that that was awesome like his First of all, I don't like. I, I'm imagining that he came up with that himself. It, it may have been something. No, he had a tweet before. saying that uh, someone else. <clears throat> it was like under like the very first tweet of like the the ABC, the Columbia ABC guy, uh, tweeting it. It was like credit to some one of his other teammates, and then like penmanship shout out to someone else yeah. too. Either way, I thought it was really influential. I'm, I'm I can't remember exactly what it was. What it what did it say? It said it matter like, is the minimum. So like when people oh yeah like, yeah okay like, matter is like one thing and then he listed a bunch of there's other so much more that beyond better. that they're just yeah, yeah. so that was yeah pretty, I did see that that was that was a good one really everything's been handled so well by so many people within the state except for that anonymous uh, orange figure that you guys were talking about earlier who said anything about orange I, did, uh, uh, I, I didn't I didn't use any colors I just said that the color oh, doesn't. Yeah. One that doesn't rhyme with anything. Yeah, the one that came out with a video message, uh, basically defending his trash that has come out this week on them, and it, it just it didn't inspire yeah. any confidence in anything. It it he basically just straight up called his players liars, and you know the whole fan Twitter fan base is gonna say yes, of course, my lord, um, please. All of you people, you you just came out with this because you didn't play, ha ha ha. Yeah, like, and yeah. and it's something that's like for me, like I, I, like it's easy to just for like for people with our fan base to just if there's a way to bash Dabo, we want to bash Dabo. But this is something that's like so serious to to bash against because like you know I I feel like you know okay if his players are using Austrian, that's one thing. Okay. If he's a legal recruiting, that's one thing. Like this happens all the time, but like to be like, this dude is harboring a racist program. Like that is a massive, massive like accusation. So like, I, I definitely be careful with that, even though it's somebody that like is a rival. Right. No likes. But at the same time, like when you see that, but then like, I guess seeing what Muschamp is doing, it's kind of like, no, like there definitely is, like reason to to be critical. Um, the, the silence is deafening, 
And when he does talk, it's it's talking in circles, which he always is talking in circles. But um, when he like doing it like how he is now, and and still trying to keep up that all shucks personality and all that, like the all shucks personality is fine, whatever. It's not really fine, but like that's one thing when you're talking about. Oh well, uh, you know, we just happened to win that football game because you know it just the cars fell right tonight, and then being like. <laughs> <laughs> and then god was like, watching over us yeah right <laughs> and then being like all shucks you know it's really just a sin problem like <laughs> it, it, it was just one inward <laughs> even beyond that tyler though it's just he's so vocal about other things like you know the paying the players things and how he literally straight up said that you know if, if payers get play or college players get paid to play football that he wouldn't coach anymore and stuff like that like he's well, so vocal letter to hit the desk of uh, yes. Rakovich and exactly so like he, he's just so vocal about other things and then for him like this to be like a huge huge issue right now that everyone's like the whole world is talking about for him to just be silent is you know he's a big public figure he's been in the limelight forever now because of Clemson's success and like I said mainly just so that he's more vocal about other things that he really needs to be vocal now yeah um, an issue that that's probably bigger than anything else going on in the football yeah world right yeah because I mean like if for- for in my perspective, and I know for a lot of people, especially on social media, it's like we, we make fun of like the team, we make fun of Dabo, and it's mostly trolling. Like we don't like like I mean if I if I saw him in person, I wouldn't like curse in his face, but like that's just the way sports is. Like I don't like Clemson, so you know, whatever. But in terms of this scenario, it's very it's like much more serious and obviously it's it's much deeper than sports itself. And it's just like now I don't know, man. Like if I saw Dabo in person, it's just like I would really not want to like this really changes my opinion of him very drastically. Uh, it's not play. changing my opinion because I would never want to like hang out with him. I mean, I wouldn't want to hang out with him, but I wouldn't like go out of my way to say something to him, you know, if I saw saw him on the street. But like, you know, it, I don't know. It just it puts a bad taste in my mouth, and like I I, I don't know how much is going to change now because of it. Obviously, there's a lot going on, and I don't think many people are putting Clemson that much on the on the spectrum right now in terms of what's really important. But like. I think I think there is some point in some at some point like time in the future that this will be a problem and and will hopefully be addressed like it'll it'll come up you know so I'm I'm not worried I guess he's putting a lot on the line he's putting a lot on the line like come out yeah. and just straight up deny the accusations of whatever was said by that assistant coach for him to come like you know put his career like he's putting literally his whole entire well-being on the line by denying the claims and saying that it never happened it's so also, if, this, if this comes back to him it's huge it's Go gone beyond like just South Carolina people bashing him, like when when the whole world yeah. is, is looking at it, like wow, you are a piece of garbage. It, it's it's more than just us. Yeah, and it's like, and I don't want to bring it down to like about football because it's it like it definitely means more than that. But also, like I just kind of hope that people like do look and see like when this happened, like when like the when the major demographic of these teams you know, we're finally sick and tired of all of this, you know, hate that is that is put against them. And, you know, they decided to use the voices and, and stand up and, and fight for their cause. And, you know, looking at who stood beside them and marched with them and then who didn't. I mean, I just hope that, that you know, you can say whatever you want out much champ. You can say he can't run an offense. You can say he's a crappy football coach. And you can say – the opposite things about Dabo Sweeney. But when it comes to this matter, which means so much more than wins and losses in a football game, 
I'm glad that we had the coach that we have. Yeah, it's kind of like the Jake Bentley thing where it's like people talked a lot of trash about Jake Bentley, but it's like, or or even Ryan Holinsky when he leaves, there will probably be some people that are like, uh, you know, have, say their say their thoughts, but like ultimately these are great people. And it's like when you look past sports, it's like I'm glad they're with our program. Like we could have had much worse people represent our, you know, our team and our university here. So absolutely. It, and uh, yeah, I mean, I would love to have a coach that wins national championships and wins football games. And and that might not be much champ. Uh, you know, one day it might be. You never know. I mean, Dabba wasn't so solid his first five years at Clemson. But, at, you know, at the end of the day, too, what this sport is about is also making guys that, you know, are going to go on and have um, either good careers in the, in the pros um, or, or live healthy sustainable successful lives and he's had a great off season and it it really hurts that he hasn't really had results on the field because very respectable guy and this is just another example of that former players absolutely love him it's like one of the biggest reasons everywhere at texas at florida Florida. anywhere lsu anywhere he's been an assistant anywhere that he's been a head coach yeah just uh i guess to wrap up everything Gamecock related. Uh, I guess we'll get some more updates next week on how the practice is looking. Um, our podcast is going to start from starting next week, highlight uh, different position groups for the 2020 season, what we think about them, who we, I guess, who we think might break out, how strong the position group is. Um, starting next week, I think we're going to go with wide receivers. So uh, keep on the lookout for that. Um, on to, I guess, really the only other major sport topic uh the mlb draft currently ongoing and marino's team the mets picked some dude from harvard high school yeah hold on let me let me pull it up because i I have him uh they selected pete crow armstrong crow dash armstrong an outfielder which we just need another outfielder don't we we not enough outfielders yeah (laughs) just keep adding more apparently we're gonna fill every position on the team with outfielders i I love it. Great. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know how much everyone knows. The only notable thing I've seen through the first 19 picks is it's a lot of SEC players or like yeah, uh, Crow Armstrong, someone committed to an SEC program. So yeah, might as well get them out of here. Wait, we don't want to have to play them. Yeah, the uh, the Orioles had the number two pick. Uh, we took a guy from uh, from Arkansas. Um, you know, I know he's a good player. Every I, I'm just nervous as an Orioles fan. Uh, I, I don't know if I can trust our general manager. Uh, this is only a second draft. Um, he, he he came from the Astros. Okay, so trust your manager. I, dude, dude, he came from the Astros. I don't know. I mean, that's he, true. That's true. Know. At least your coach know, didn't come from the Astros at one point. Well, he never really – well, number one, it's called a manager. <laughs> our, our old coach. Never but... coached or yeah. never managed a ball game because All right. that got quickly <laughs> shut down. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I just don't know if I can trust them. And every mock draft uh, that I saw, uh, saw they were taking this guy, um, Austin, um, Mar- Austin Martin, not Aston Martin. Uh, everyone joked about that before we recorded. Um, but Austin Martin uh, from Vanderbilt, <laughs> uh, like like the draft network, or not the draft network, but like the MLB network. They literally like everyone was so sure that we were taking uh, the like this guy at number two that they had Vandy's coach on live for the reaction, and then we just picked somebody else. And so, (laughs) 
like Ooh. that's how that's how big of a <laughs> that's like. rough what Dude, yes I, I did not see like i just was like looking up i, I don't i don't pay that much attention to it because you know there's just like high schoolers and like you know there's so many like other variables like involved you know it's not like it's not like you know like nfl draft where you can watch film on every single one of these like draft picks you know it's different and so um so like I don't follow it that much, you know. I would take who we get, and then I read up on them a little bit, um, and and just hope that they can, you know, get us out of our, you know, my everyday hell of following a really crappy baseball team. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, having this fear of not knowing if I can trust the guy as the general manager, and then he goes and kind of, you know, throws everyone for a loop and and picks someone differently. I, I don't know. It scares scares me a little bit. He could be a great pick. He could, you know, be the next, uh, you know. For us, Cal Ripken, um, you know, or anybody. I mean, he's an outfielder, so he wouldn't be like a Cal Ripken. But you know what I mean, just big-name star. Um, and, you know, he could, but yeah, it scares me a little bit. Isn't that what makes baseball great? Because you never know. <laughs> like Some of these guys will just stay in the system for a couple of years. You'll forget about them. And then they'll, they'll just show up in the big time and just either be really good or be really bad, have one good first year. You know, you never know. So um generally it's like with with the nfl drafts who they draft means a lot more like somewhat immediately but baseball you kind of have to like wait and see how they develop so some people um, might get drafted by your favorite team and uh end up going to play for the gamecocks instead yeah because they realized you know probably a better option for them there than uh with the o's you know that's that's not a spoiler e- even coming from someone who who was an Orioles fan, to then be like, oh, screw this. Like, I got to go where I'm going to be better off. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and that's another little preview teaser to our uh, our interview coming up with uh, uh, specifically um, that preview to the portion with Cody Morris. So, um, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, and it's, you know, it's a draft that gets overlooked, uh, especially this year. There's so much going on, so much weird stuff happening because of COVID. They shortened the draft, which doesn't make any sense at all. Um, but, you know, that's something that's happening. Um, and uh, and I, I don't really know if we can talk much more about the draft because it's still going on. And we don't really know all the people. But um, it really, uh, one more one more piece of news that I do want to talk about. I want to bring up um, because I'm excited about it and I'm a little mad about it. Um, and none of these other guys are going to have anything to say, uh, but I, I think it's worth mentioning. But uh, PGA is back this week. Well, Charles Schwab Invitational uh, is is back this week. Uh, it's gonna be the first event since uh, well a short well a canceled mid mid tournament cancellation of the players tournament back uh, in early March. So. We are finally back. Um, they're gonna. It's a massive field. It's like the best all-time field for this event. Uh, the top five players in the world are gonna be playing, uh, which is really cool. Uh, they got all of those guys there, and uh, um, and and it's like top. All the top five are like thirty-six of the top fifty players in the world are gonna be there. So everyone in the golf community is really excited. Um, but the thing that I am most excited about is next week, the following week, what is normally reserved for the U.S. Open with it being Father's Day weekend, uh, a little event called the RBC Heritage, uh, played on our very own Hilton Head Island, um, is has been rescheduled to next week. Um, normally, it's the week after the Masters, but you know, just due to COVID and a lot of changes, it is going to be next week. And uh, and do you guys uh, do you guys follow uh, boating routes at all? Know anything? Uh, about oh yeah, that? yeah, yeah, yeah. Private yachts. 
Um, well, a uh, Wait, yachts. Why would I know anything about yachts? I don't know, dude. But uh, there is yacht a yacht out there. Uh, there's a yacht out there that's called Privacy uh, that uh, that actually left port yesterday for um, uh, it left the port in Jupiter, Florida, for uh, Saint Simon's Island in Georgia, which is just a little a little jump away from from Hilton Head. Um, and uh, that little boat there is owned by Mr. Tiger Woods. So. There is speculation galore that uh, the greatest golfer of all time will be right here in in our state next week uh, playing on the party boat. Uh, oh yeah, uh, on his massive yacht that he so humbly calls his dinghy, uh, and uh, you know, kind of is like uh, screw you, Tiger. Uh, really shit, rubbing in our face with that one, but um, but yeah. So it uh, is really in- increasingly looking more and more that Tiger Woods is going to be playing at the Heritage. Um, I believe he's played it before, but it has been a number, number of years. Uh, you know, been be- way back in the early part of his career. But really excited to see Tiger play that course. Um, it, it, I'm not going to get too nerdy on y'all, but I am. Uh, it's designed by Pete Dye, who also designed the Ocean Course, uh, you know, which is um, which has already hosted the 91 Ryder Cup and the uh, um, 2012 PGA Championship. So, um, you know, it's been big in golf already. Um, it's hosting the PGA Championship next May, uh, so Charleston's really excited about that. Um, but Pete Dye is a really creative golf course designer, known for building difficult courses, and um, and the course that they'll be at for the Heritage is uh, is largely considered one of the best courses on tour. But you know, it's uh, it's the week after the Masters, and a lot of big names don't play it because of that. But it's exciting. It's exciting. Um, but uh, th- that kind of wraps up all the news for for the state of South Carolina. And it's been pretty quiet for everybody else um, because nobody knows anything about golf or Tiger Woods or anything. So uh, I guess I wrap it up with that, unless anyone cuts me off in the next three seconds with anything extra. Like me, uh, just real oh, quick. Yeah. A, hey, what? <laughs> I'll be I'll be quick. So there was that UFC fight last week. Nunez dominating as she always does. Uh, it came to a decision. Normally, most of her knockouts are in the first round, so she actually went five rounds with Felicia Spencer. Uh, there were two good knockouts, Cody Gabrant knocking out Rafael Sankiao, and Sean O'Malley with a uh, nice KO against Eddie Wineland. Um, along with that, McGregor, Conor McGregor, uh, everyone knows him, he is announced yet again for the third time his retirement from MMA. So uh, huh. any bets on how long this one lasts? Until someone you know. talks shit to him on Twitter, and then he'll... You which uh, which Floyd Mayweather already did, so I'm really <laughs> hoping that we get part two. Expect uh, an unretirement ceremony in the next couple of months. Uh, <laughs> it won't last too long. No, probably not. Um, so that wraps up uh, just our first little part of the of the episode. Um, buckle up! A great interview coming up. Hope y'all enjoy it. Our very first interview. If you hate it, give us a little bit of grace because it's our first interview. But uh, we're pretty proud of it, and hope y'all enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to this segment of the podcast. We are joined for an interview by former Gamecock pitcher Cody Morris and former Wake Forest second baseman Jake Mueller. Uh, how are you guys doing tonight? Uh, glad to have you all on here. Great. It's great to be on. Thanks for having me. Hey guys, how's it going? So just some general info for you guys. Um, obviously, the two of you know each other. Um, Cody playing with the Gamecocks in the 2017 and 2018 seasons, as uh, as far as I can remember, uh, mostly a Saturday and Sunday starter. You had a 12 and five record over two years, including 10 starts in 2017 and 16 in 2018. 
Uh, drafted out of high school by the Orioles and then to the Indians after your sophomore year. Uh, currently, you're with the double A in double A. Well, were I guess before all the COVID nonsense and everything that's going on there. Um, and uh, played with Jake on the Evo Shield Canes. Uh, Jake, who's one of our longtime friends, um, Jake played four years at Wake Forest as the second baseman. Uh, had a really good team. His it was his, your junior year, right? That y'all made it to sophomore year, twenty seventeen. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, also played with the Canes with Cody. Uh, went to RNE for high school, local uh, Richland Northeast High School. And uh, three-year starter, um, career batting average of over 300, which I always remember you were, uh, every time I looked at Twitter, I was like, Jake Mueller is on the board with a single. Jake's uh, not really a home run hitter. He's a... One time I did see you hit a home run, and they had the little gif of you. It's just cracked. It was really funny. I remember that. But yeah, um, also made his uh, presence known as a hitter and as a fielder for Wake Forest. So guys, just to kind of get into the uh, flow of things here, um, uh, Clayton, do you want to go ahead and start with recruiting and everything? Yeah, so we were always really curious on Jake really wanting to go to Wake Forest, and he was used to tell us you know, a little bit about that. But So I just wanted to get the story of how you guys were recruited for both Wake Forest and South Carolina. Because it's a little bit different for baseball than, you know, football or basketball. Um, so playing with the Canes, obviously with Jake, um, we were just – we played at a lot of big tournaments. And I think we were, we started playing together when we were, like, 16 or 17. I don't remember. Yeah, we were both committed years. by the time um, Okay. I was with you, though. I, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So, anyways, but playing with the Canes – I would played with them previously the year before, um, and I was uncommitted when I started playing with them. But um, we played at some big tournaments, um, one specifically in in Atlanta that um, a lot of college scouts were uh, were at. Um, so I got some good looks there, and I uh, I had some really good offers from schools that I really liked. But um, it came down to like North Carolina and um, South Carolina, and uh, and Virginia was kind of in there too. I really liked UVA, but uh, but South Carolina was just sick, like. The stadium is so nice. Um, and for me, like, kind of getting down south being from Maryland was a big dream of mine. So I was really happy to end up there. And at one point, too, actually, I was really hoping Jake would come there. But he uh, <laughs> obviously worry, ended up we not we coming. We also thought the same thing. We yep. Really <laughs> yeah, we, we can talk about that. Because um, that's why I wanted Cody I wanted Cody to go first for that reason. Um, like, yeah, so I committed um, – my sophomore year. So Clayton, we might have known each other's longer before that though. Because yeah. I think you guys were familiar with me by the time I committed. Mm-hmm. Um started playing with the Canes with Cody um junior year fall, so that was like twenty fourteen and whatnot. But um when I committed to Wake, we had actually played Spring Valley high school the night before and uh I had a shitty game to be honest. But they uh, <laughs> They liked me for my character on the field and just, like, had the way I played. And I was fortunate to get an offer that night and committed the next day. But when I played with Cody that summer, you know, he was harping on me, you know, come to Carolina with me, bro. Like, <laughs> every day. And, 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 you know, like, have, I had been recruited a little bit by Carolina. And having it been my hometown, I would have been excited to go there. But um, <laughs> just wasn't necessarily the best fit for me. And 
it was obviously a great fit for Cody though. And wake was, you know, a great experience for me. Yeah. We, we definitely didn't let Jake live it down. We were like, <laughs> come on. Like we just oh, came off these yeah. national championships. Like we're like this great program. Come on. You got this. Like, why oh, would yeah. you want to go to Carolina? I guess the point of what I was saying with the evil shield stuff is when, um, when I was playing there that summer, there was some sort of, you know, offer on the table. If you remember Cody, mm-hmm. um, I could have uncommitted and, and then committed to Carolina, but I just didn't really want to take that risk having it been that late in the recruiting process. But it was definitely, you know, an option for me. And it would have been it would have been a good time to play at Carolina for sure. But like I said, Wake was awesome and definitely an unforgettable experience for me. Yeah, that that's awesome. Uh just kind of I guess more into the dynamic of the Evo Shield Canes. Um I I remember you talking about playing with with them uh, during your, the end of your high school days, but I don't really remember a whole lot about it. I just remember it was a, it, it's a, like an AAU team kind of, is that the idea? Basically when it comes to, it's basically AAU. Um, the Canes adopted a model of, of trying to create, they're like one of the first teams to create a true national high school travel baseball team. Um, before the, before Evo Shield, most teams would be like, It'd be like the East Cobb Astros were an example where they would only pull kids from the Atlanta Marietta area. But um, what the Canes tried to do was just, like I said, just take it, you know, more nationally and, and try to pull guys from, we had guys on our team from California, New York, Florida, Texas, you name it. It was, that, that was the model of what we did there. And it was just a lot of guys who were highly skilled, highly talented and, you know, committed to big schools. And, you know, when you put, a lot of talent and competitive guys on one team, it just helps them get like, you know, it pushes you to become like the best player you can be. That makes sense. Yeah. I figured that's also was also was huge into like uh, experience and getting noticed for the recruiting process into college. So how does that team work? Is it like uh, y- y'all have these tournaments over certain weekends or is it like a summer ball type of thing? It was like, um, it was summer ball. I don't even remember. When did we start Jake? Like, uh, I started with you. It, it's summer and fall weekends, but I started right, in fall. Yeah. But the main season is in the summer. Yeah, fall was kind of okay. optional. Depend like for pitchers, especially depending on how many innings you threw and stuff. But yeah, it was just like mostly weekend tournaments. There was a couple like week long tournaments in there, um, but it was kind of just like, hey, we're playing here. Um, show up on this date we'll probably practice the day before and then uh then we'll play and, mm-hmm. and then we kind of go our several ways and that's what that's where the canes were really good about that too is if guys had to travel you know without their families you know our coach his name's jeff petty he was very good on making sure they were taken care of mm-hmm. at the hotel uh, we were one of the few high school travel teams to have like a team bus where we mm-hmm. would all get on to to travel a nice one and stuff. too and it, yeah it was good stuff uh I mean, Coach Patty there with the Canes, it, it's basically what it was like to play in college. I'm sure you can attest to that as well, Cody, just like the way he would take care of you on, uh, you know, road trips and stuff. Yeah, he was first class always for me. Nothing but respect for him. So going out of high school, starting to go into college, this one's specifically for you, Cody. You started out with uh, Coach Holbrook there at South Carolina and then some you know, turbulence going on, and he gets fired, and then they bring in Mark Kingston to come be the coach. So how was kind of the end of that in that transition period, and, like, what are some of the differences that you saw from being coached by Holbrook and Kingston? 
Oh man. Um Yeah, that There's was, a lot there, I know. Yeah. That was that was a wild time in my life, um, to be quite honest. We like especially because everyone there, like, nobody's went through it before. So we were all going through it together. And um when Holbrook unfortunately got fired, there was a time period of a couple months where we just like didn't have a coach and that was really um really like weird especially for me i was living in columbia at the time like over the summer and stuff it was weird not to really have anyone to report to or or have like anyone checking in on you looking out for you um so that was like a, just a weird part of that experience and then um kingston got hired and that was just like a drastic difference in the program you know for for me i'd been there for two years and having a new guy come in and and pretty much change everything um, and wait the way things were run, um, how practice was handled. Um, it was a really big transition. What were some of the, the, the good things that you liked that uh, Kingston brought in? Um, I thought we just practiced harder. Um, I, don't, I think it was part of his mentality that came in. Um, he knew how to get guys to work hard. He seems to have be a lot more intense than Holbrook too, Cody. He is, he is an intense guy. Um, sometimes a little too intense for me, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I like, I like a player's coach. Um, I don't like somebody to yell at me. That's just me. Um, but yeah. He's a pretty boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it sounds like that. Um, but yeah, Kingston came in and kind of like kicked their ass and, uh, I wasn't ready for it, but I got used to it and, um. And it turned out I ended up liking him a lot. Um, but yeah, he you guys were he, fucking good that year too. First year was there. Yeah, yeah, we were. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he he just he really changed the program and how it was run. And there was nothing against Holbrook. Like I loved Holbrook. He's a he's a great guy. Like he really cares about you, and I really loved him, and I love playing for him. Um, but you know, college baseball is a business and stuff, and winning's obviously the most important thing. So. Um, that last year was really fun to get to the Super Regional, and um, I wish we could have made it to Omaha. Clayton, I actually mm-hmm. have a question for him. Interviewee yeah. asking another interviewee. Uh, <laughs> Let's hear it. <laughs> I have more of a question, just like when you were saying there was no one to report to mm-hmm. during those summer hours and summer times. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you do as an upperclassman, or did any other upperclassman you know, have to take charge there and really keep that team unified especially when you're not together because it's summer and everyone's off at their own you know summer ball teams or whatever like do you have any like specific you know names of players or even like yourself like examples of what you did to just help keep that keep that team together you know what I mean yeah yeah I know what you mean um I was I'm not gonna say I really took like leadership in keeping the team together because I just at that point like I hadn't really done much in my Carolina career and I was kind of just there. Like I didn't, I really wasn't even planning on playing pro ball at that point. Like I wasn't throwing that hard. Like I, I just like, I don't know. I was just there and I was going to work hard and that was what it was. That's what it was going to be. But then there was a couple other guys like Adam Hill was living there and uh, Sawyer Bridges. And I think TJ Hopkins was there a good bit too. And we kind of just started working hard in the weight room every day. And then I kind of started to throw hard again, like I did in high school for TJ. And then um, <laughs> that's when we kind of started believing, I guess, a little bit more. But um, but yeah, there was there was definitely a group there that um that worked hard every day in the weight room, and uh, and I guess 
kind of formed some unity in a time that there wasn't really much unity. So I don't know if that answers mm-hmm. your question. No, that makes sense to me. It kind of transitions a little bit into what I was planning on asking. Well, actually, Matt, if you don't mind, I, I mean, I don't want to cut in, but uh, I mean, I know, uh, I know this is the one, the one problem we have with having, you know, six people on a podcast, um, you know, or just on a regular week. But, uh, um, but yeah, but Cody, you know, um, just being Gamecock fans, uh, pretty much all of us here, uh, you know, that season, um, uh, what was it 2018, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was pretty memorable for, for all of us. Um, especially with being, you know, one game away from Omaha. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, one thing that I think everyone really remembers is the kind of like the spark that came in um, about midseason. I know it was a little rough patch. Uh, I think it was like, a, if I remember correctly, like a real bad loss to like a Presbyterian or something like that. And um, mm-hmm. and things were looking pretty bleak. Um, and, and, you know, we've heard a lot in the media side of the story. We've heard about bringing in, uh, what was it, the the hitting machines or whatever like that. So we've all heard <laughs> those stories, but – uh, just, I'd be interested to hear just a bit more perspective from, you know, someone, a player actually in the program at the time of, you know, what really clicked for y'all, um, especially, you know, we keep about the hitting machines, but, you know, you're you're a pitcher. So mm-hmm. just, you know, from your perspective, from the entire team perspective, um, what really brought that magic? Yeah, the hitting machine was, uh, I think, was big, honestly. I completely forgot about that, to be honest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, now that you say that, I do remember it helped. Um yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, one specific moment. Um, honestly, like, what I'm remembering right now is we <laughs> – me and Adam Hill had these, like, two terrible nagging shoulder injuries all year that nobody ever heard about. Um, we just kind of, like, shut up and played. And um, obviously, like, the coaches knew about it because we were literally, like, pitching and taking, like, three days off because we couldn't throw – and then, like, getting ready for it again and stuff. But um, I kind of started to, like, feel – this is so weird, by the way. I started to feel a little bit better, like, middle of SEC play. We um, – it was, like, the Vanderbilt series. It was when we really started to get hot. We – um, it was the Vandy series at Vandy, LSU at home, and, like, Ole Miss or something. I think we won all three series. Um, and – I, like, felt good those series, the best I'd felt all year. And interestingly enough, I had, like, a 11 ERA over those three starts. <laughs> and it was the games that I literally felt, like, good. The only three games I felt good all year, 11 ERA. And so Adam was like, dude, you, like, need to go back to feeling shitty again. You'll pitch good. It's like, <laughs> just, like, kind of laughed. And I was like, whatever. You're just throwing your shoulder into, like, doors and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, and, like, I didn't even think anything of it. And then, um, and then I like, sure enough, like I started to feel shitty again and, um, I don't know like why or what, um, what caused it again. I guess it was just coming back, but then I pitched, I started to feel bad the first game against, uh, Missouri. It was, I think it was a Sunday game, I think, but I like ended up going like seven shutty and then I felt terrible after like that whole week. I felt terrible. We went to A&M. And I threw a bullpen on, like, Friday, I think, if I was throwing Sunday. I don't remember. One of those days, and, like, horrible bullpen. Felt terrible. And then I went out and, like, threw seven innings shutout again. <laughs> and everyone's <laughs> like, you literally need to feel like shit and you'll pitch good. And then the rest of the you year. You see, that's what like we a... did at Wake with hangovers. Yeah. But yeah maybe, <laughs> maybe that has some correlation. I don't know. Interesting. I don't know. But then, at like, a sub 
I don't even know what it was. Like it was a sub two ERA the rest of the year, and I felt terrible. And that was maybe that was the spark I needed personally. I don't know, but uh, but yeah, I thought that was funny. <laughs> um, That's crazy. Over to Jake here. Um, so similar to how Cody's last year for Carolina was the super regional year, you guys had a super regional year as well, which you made it all the way to. Uh, playing against Florida and I really I just remember it was awesome watching that series and watching that team which was really good can you kind of talk a little bit about uh that year's team what was special about it and uh similar to how Cody went from like a a transitioning team into a good team you guys kind of took that that upper level team when you were your a sophomore and then kind of just mostly from what I could tell off of losing a lot of people y'all y'all struggled a little bit the next couple of years can you kind of talk about that uh first of all that super regional level team and then uh what that team had that that team your junior and senior year didn't quite have yeah um i guess the first thing that you could say um about the difference in those teams was just chemistry when we made that super regional run it was just like we had a group of on a baseball team there's like 35 guys in college, but you know, like 18 to 19 typically have some sort of impact on the field. And, you know, those guys all clicked really well together, but as important, as important as those guys who were on the field were the rest of the guys who weren't on the field every day. And, you know, were just like those role players on the bench and, you know, having to be essentially a cheerleader is what they were, but man, were they awesome at what they did. And they were so great to help us and, you know, pick us up and, and it was just, I guess what I'm getting at is the whole team was on the same page with what we wanted to do. We were really talented every year I was there. But when you come, when you put that chemistry together with those types of teams, I mean, that's the difference. When we made that super regional run, and then the next year, like you said, we lost, I think, like 10 guys to the draft. Yeah, I was in the same draft there. class from y'all. A lot of really high draft picks, too. A lot of high draft picks, and... Among those draft picks, most of them were juniors, and then we lost all those seniors that were playing impactful roles as well. So then you flash forward into my junior season where we had a lot of freshmen who had to go into those impactful roles. I'm sure Cody can attest to it as well. It's just like when immaturity and, and lack of experience is there, it's, it's harder to get consistent results. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess that's the difference, if that's your question, Matthew, but um, I can go into more depth anywhere if you want me to. That makes sense. Um, just one thing, a caveat of all of that was your junior year, a bunch of your teammates got suspended, particularly, I, I believe you said they were a lot of them were seniors. Um, I imagine that probably had a lot to do with the chemistry of that season, like losing. Yeah, they were all seniors. So kind of talk about that, about what happened and about the fallout from that <laughs> um, as much uh, as you can. at least. <laughs> we had no seniors on the team that year because of that. And again, like I've told you, and no matter what I say, it's no one's really going to, if you read the story, they'll be like, oh yeah, these guys are scumbags, but they're really not. Basically, at the end of the fall, we had a, we have end of fall part, like it's like an event with the team where it's, we, it's a team bonding event where everyone comes together and you get what they call a gift, but it's not really a gift because you don't really, it's nothing you want to receive, if that makes sense. It's. <laughs> So in a way, it got defined as hazing. In my, in my opinion of it, it's not hazing because we were all there. Like it's, we're all friends. It's not, it's not like we're initiating people into a fraternity or, something, or nothing like that. But basically, 
they got suspended for for that and the true story never came out until 40 games into the season and then once it got unveiled all their charges against the university were dropped and then they were eligible again so they basically got a 40 game suspension during review of a trial based and then uh lost their senior seasons and that's pretty much what happened to us yeah that can basically derail a team as well like especially when you're talking about chemistry it was an indefinite suspension until they came out with the results of the trial which is the exact opposite of innocent until proven guilty um it was guilty until proven innocent and they were when they were proven innocent it was you know the season was over at that point basically a a whole season taken away from them Mm -hmm. it's really tough to get past as a team as well yeah and and I guess when I was asking Cody too earlier about like what upperclassmen, you know, came together to really keep that team driving, you know, ahead when there was not really anyone to report to, that's what our junior class kind of failed to do. Um, we had three guys who were impact or three to five players on the on our team that were juniors who had impactful roles. And from experience, I know like it was really easy for us to fall into our own bubble, if that makes sense, and just focus on ourselves because we were not going to be, we were not doing very good. We had a lot of adversity with the seniors being gone and stuff like that. And it's kind of just all as, as the 2017 team was like the perfect storm where everything came together. It was the exact opposite in 2018 where everything kind of fell apart. Yeah. After like, that was just a really shitty situation. I remember that and just, being really upset for all of Wake Forest. But like going on to a little bit, you know, lighter topic for both of you. Thanks, I guess Matt. we'll start with Cody. Uh what do you have, what's like your funniest story from playing at South Carolina? You you have like a really great story. I mean, you already gave us your your bad shoulder going into <laughs> playing well with that. But is there another one that comes to mind? Um I might need a minute to think on that. Jake, do you have one? Yeah, Jake, do you got one? Yeah, I'll go. Um, <laughs> I'll give I'll give you a smaller one. That was like it's like a team anecdote. What is this Tweety Bird thing going on, by the way? It's <laughs> crazy. It sounds like a sound effect. Yeah. Um, but here's like the small one I got is we used to call this. It was the two thirty effect in Winston Salem. So that was when we'd started practice specifically would feel this way in the fall. And Cody could probably attest to it too, where you're just dog tired after, after a fall practice one day and then you <laughs> lift after practice. And, and then you have class in the morning and you have all this shit to do that night for homework and stuff. But uh, it would be like, if it were raining on a day, like let's just say it's a Tuesday afternoon it's a ra- or Tuesday morning and it's raining, we would be all pumped up. It's like, let's go. We might have indoor practice, get out early. And then, you know, someone would, put in our team group chat now nah, it's a 2:30 effect uh, it's gonna stop and sure enough it was uncanny how many times it would be pissing rain until about 1 2 o'clock and then 2 30 rolls around sun's out sun shining we're having a full-on four and a half hour practice <laughs> uncanny. That person knows that's you called it out now that's all it's hot <laughs> That bird is mad at you, man. I know. I must have pissed him off. <laughs> like He's 10 like different calls going now. on. It's not but even Cody, the same call. That bird Cody, is do you have a story now, or do you want me to tell my, my better one? You can tell a better one. I don't really know a great story at the moment. <laughs> I don't want to tell a shitty one. I guess it can kind of – I mean, you already gave with... us a pretty good one, so. <laughs> yeah. Go along with what Cody was talking about and, you know, how I jumped in and said what I said about the hangover thing is – 
every Thursday night before home series, um, about seven of our nine starting lineup players would go to this bar in Winston called Last Resort. Um, and we would be out drinking until about two in the morning and then roll in Friday night hungover. Yep. And it was just like, it was a, it was a joke between us because like the coaches had no idea until we told them at the end of the season. <laughs> okay, so you did tell them. It's not like they're gonna hear this and get mad. Um, and they would always talk about make sure you're getting your rest and prepared for the you know the, the series ahead. And meanwhile, we're knocking back you know vodka shots at at the bar at one thirty. Being hungover and for then turning back around and kicking whoever. Yeah. Do you guys watch uh, Always Sunny? I have so like, before. I'm not a. Is it the, 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 Wade, the Wade Boggs thing? Uh, doing the, oh, yeah. the bug challenge. Yeah. <laughs> Did y'all ever do that oh, with that? Is, with that? What is that? Thursday night? Drink like a full case or something. The like amount that? of beers, and then Charlie hits the bomb. What is it? <laughs> yeah, that's baseball, man. <laughs> they, they, so they get on the flight, like a cross country flight, and have to drink some ungodly. Oh yeah, yeah, I've heard. <laughs> and that. then like eat a whole chicken, and then go like <laughs> basically hit like five hundred the next day or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but even Matthew, like that can even go and show you like how good our team chemistry was is that you know we had this like bond from that and even though we all felt like garbage the next day it's like it's something that you know in light of that we had something to laugh about and keep ourselves loose at the field during high pressure situations and you know it seemed to work for us and and once it started working I remember we didn't do it um the week our opening weekend before we traveled to Houston and then we went one and three in that weekend. And then we were like, fuck it, we're going out when we got back home. And it became a thing every weekend to do it after that. What was your coach's reaction when you told him uh, that so you guys are doing our that? Shortstop, our shortstop told him at the end of the season, one of his exit meetings and our coaches, he's a pretty cool guy, Tom Walter. Um, he definitely used to have his fun back in the day, but you know, you know how it is. Um, but he, Bruce said that our shortstop said that he bursted out laughing. (laughs) Funniest thing ever. And it's a lot easier to think it's funny in hindsight when it's not, you know, with all the high pressure going along, but he had a good, um, kick out of it. I don't have a story, but something that was funny that I found out when I got into pro ball, there was, uh, another kid from Vandy and actually, uh, you know, Steven Scott, Jake. Yeah, kid we yeah, played. Kid we play with on the Canes. Actually, that's completely unrelated to the story. But um, another. <laughs> I was just thinking of Andy. Another kid was like uh, Ethan Hankins. He was a first rounder, and um, he actually didn't go to Vandy, but he was like kind of close to their program, I guess, and up there a lot. Um, he told me that the story was that all of Vandy, and like I guess this trickled through the SEC, were like claiming that we were snorting coke in the dugout and like i can tell you firsthand that never happened and i doubt that would happen at carolina, <laughs> at carolina. <laughs> oh, seems Lord. like a, a bad rumor yeah that is was. quite a rumor oh yeah, wow it was quite a rumor and like it has literally no truth behind it but uh i always oh, thought it was funny that's like, why holbrook how, got fired yeah, I was like, <laughs> oh no breaking news i was like how did this come up was that was that the real magic turnaround juice? <laughs> it must maybe it was. I don't know, but I, I yeah, I don't know how that rumor got started, but I thought that was a pretty funny one. So this was just every SEC team had this like rumor, like this just like that urban legend about Carolina baseball. I don't know if every SEC team thought that. 
But I know that Vandy did, and I, he said that, like, other teams thought that, too. Like, that was the rumor so, going around. Cody, did you guys have those little ammonia oh my packets? Goodness. Oh, like, uh, smelling salts? Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Like every... maybe they saw maybe they saw one of one of your guys doing that once, and they were like, "Holy shit, these guys are doing blow right now." <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. I remember we had those because you have to have them in like your medical like training bag or whatever. But I can't tell you that like anyone was ever doing smelling salts. My memory. So I don't know how that rumor had any legs, but it it did apparently. Well, we had guys shotgunning um, beet juice cans before games sometimes. So <laughs> you want to talk about psychos? <laughs> but yeah, so uh, so moving along, uh, we have some questions about uh, about the draft process, and uh, we know that it's wildly different this year. Um, but uh, but actually, so I've got two draft questions. Um, one uh, specifically for Cody. Uh, so you know, we we've done some some background research, just you know, some stats and everything like that. Um, the biggest question I have uh, as a lifelong Baltimore Orioles fan is is how do you turn turn that draft pick down? <laughs> Here we go. How do you say no to them? <laughs> yeah. Wait, are you saying are you saying you're an Orioles fan or I am? Y'all both are. You are. Oh, uh, for what myself? Yeah. Oh, oh, you're one as well. Orioles fan. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Tyler is Maryland. So then, definitely, yeah. how do you Money. turn it down? I mean, I can tell <laughs> I'll tell you the, there. It's... Yeah, the truth of it was, they picked me kind of just like out of courtesy. Um, when the scout called me, they didn't even like put an offer on the table. He called me and was like, "Hey, like, we we know you're like you're going to college." Um, if we like find the money to sign you, like I'll let you know. And then I never heard anything from him. So, but it would have taken like a decent amount at that time, um, for me to sign with the Orioles. But yeah, it was hard. Like, it was it was really cool to be drafted by them. Like that's that's a big dream of mine, and it's still a dream of mine to play for them sometime in the future. That would be, that would be awesome. So, it was kind of tough. Cody, was that? Before your Tommy John, I can't remember. No, I can't I had, remember if you got it freshman year of college or in high school. I got it in high school. I didn't really pitch at all my senior year of high school. I threw like twelve innings or ten innings or something like that. So, so I guess I, I guess I can understand. Uh, you know, money does does talk a lot. Um, you know, it, <laughs> it it hurts to see somebody you know turning down turning down yeah. the O's, but <laughs> um, but yeah, so. Uh, you know, but on a more on a more serious note, um, I mean, you know, going through the draft process, um, and just you know having your name called in general is something that you know none of us here um, could even you know fathom or imagine that happening. Um, and uh, just you know, whatever experiences y'all have, just with what that's like, um, you know, that's something you know, like you said, we we have nothing but what you watch on television on draft night. You know, that's our only perception of anything like that process. But just um, share just about the experiences you got with that and what it's like with the family and, and going uh, through that. It's an unbelievable feeling. Um, the first time, I wasn't even, like, watching the draft or anything. My agent just called me and was like, hey, you just got picked. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, so that's kind of how it went um, for the first one. And I, like, it just it – was, it was really cool, but I knew I wasn't signing, so it didn't, like, mean as much to me. But um, But the second time was – like a big mix. I was super stressed because I, uh, like, obviously went in the seventh round, and I was hoping to go earlier. And a couple other guys had been picked, 
and I was sitting there in my house in Columbia, um, just like waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally, my agent called me, and uh, I didn't even have it on at that point. Finally, my agent called me, and I was so relieved, so relieved. Yeah, I wish I could say I had that relieving feeling as well, <laughs> but um, I don't know how. You know, <laughs> with the me, you know that meme that's like I had the criteria that met the uh, selection, but I wasn't. Yeah, that's pretty mm-hmm. much the story of my um, draft process. Um, like Matthew said, you know, I was a career 300 hitter and had 200 career hits in the ACC. It just didn't didn't go my way on that draft day. But I definitely know that feeling, Cody, where, like, I was expecting my junior season to be around, like, the 11th to 15th round. And once those, you know, went by, it's like, you know what, fuck it. I'm just going to turn this off. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't listen to it anymore. Yeah. It's that stressful. Yeah, um, it really is. It's definitely not – unless you're, like, a shoe-in first-rounder, it's not a fun process. Yeah, honestly, in, I didn't want to go out and say it, baseball. but the draft is not an enjoyable process. It's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> like, like one of the worst and best days of my life. That's the, that's the only way I can put it. Like, as much as I wanted to go out and do something, like, even, like, just go golfing or bowling or something, I couldn't do it. It's like you're so stressed about it. I'm sure you could say the same thing, Cody. You're probably just like pacing around your house all day. I was. I was you're literally so pulling my hair out. It's not. It's not fun. And to like see other guys get picked, like it, you're happy for them, but like you're also in that like you oh, haven't yeah. been picked yet. I don't feel like it's a weird feeling like of jealousy, but like happiness, and you're like you're just wondering when it's going to be your time. It's a, it's a hard feeling yeah. to, to be involved with. That was my junior season when it when it was supposed to happen for me and didn't. Um, that fall of senior year, the area scouts that come in and interview us um, after practices and stuff in the fall were coming in like um, pissed off for me. And you know, actually thinking back on it now, I had a couple of guys text me after the draft and were like like area scouts were angry and like texting me that they were fighting for me in that draft room. It just didn't go my way. And you know when. After that season for me, I was I was a lot more skeptical going into my senior year draft, and I think it was a lot easier for me to cope with it then than it was to cope with it after junior season of not getting drafted. Yeah, I remember I went to lunch with you one year while the draft. Oh was yeah, going we went to D's. It was just like really rough. <laughs> yeah, that was, I, the, I was there that too. Was after night two of the draft, I remember that. It was not. Yeah, I just remember that was it really was a tough. Very uh, stressful time and for you. Like Cody said, it's it's not a fun process at all unless you're, you know, a high schooler going in the first round and you're in the studio because mm-hmm. pretty much the only time it happens. It's not a good time, but you know, like Cody said, it's it's exciting if you get that opportunity. I'm sure Cody, um, once that happened, you probably had a nice sigh of relief and. Probably a nice glass of beer yeah. wherever you went to eat after that. Oh yeah, we we had uh, we had a couple <laughs> glasses of beer actually. Um, maybe maybe more than a maybe more than a couple. <laughs> yeah. Hey Cody, I was gonna say so you know once that stress of the draft is over and all that you know and you're kind of on your team now, how would you describe you know your experience thus far in the minor leagues? Um, you know before you know I know this virus has kind of gotten in the way of things, which is really unfortunate. Um, just, you know, kind of explain how your experience was, you know, there in the minor leagues and how this virus has impacted both you and yeah, your teammates. Um, I I love minor league baseball. It's such a grind. Um, it's just a lot of fun. Like, 
And once you accept what minor league baseball is and accept what you're getting paid and accept that there's going to be really long bus trips and just everything that comes with it, um, you just kind of like start to enjoy it. And um, especially now, actually today, I was thinking about how much I enjoy playing um, because I I just started working at a distillery. And um, so I'm just like working irregular hours like today. That's what your story was on Instagram. Yeah. So (laughs) I'm like, damn, like (laughs) I could be here making hand sanitizer or I could literally just be playing and like doing everything with the boys and like just everything that comes with minor league baseball and going out and playing. It's just it's. It's a ton of fun, um, and obviously it sucks that COVID's kind of, like, taken that away from us, um, and then in terms of, like, career-wise, this really sucks because, you know, I guess if you're a high school guy, you don't really think about the age as much, but this was, like, my year, in my opinion, that I was going to be, like, double A and, like, have a good year, and then, like, you know, hopefully next year things will be looking up, like, maybe if I really p- played well, then I'd get, like, a big league camp invite. Um, but now, you know, we'll see what happens. But at this point, not playing, getting a year older is just really like killing guys in my age range of, you know, 23, 24 that are trying to take that next step. Yeah, I think that like that transition is pretty interesting between going from college to whether that be the minor league or just in the, in the major leagues in general, in terms of like, um, in terms of like gear, because you, you know, you have the composite bats, so you're going from that to wood bats i always thought was interesting as a kid because obviously the sound changes and and the play changes that way uh like i was doing some research and everything and i i know in like 2012 high school which i guess was before you guys kind of were were in high school um they they switched to the bbcor approval rating for bats which is like the bat ball yeah yeah bat ball coefficient of restitution which i guess it used to be the besr which is the ball exit speed ratio and then ncaa switched switched on that i think in 2011 or whatever so it was like the year before but like i guess with that you know how much how much does gear changing between ncaa ruling and i guess like just baseball in general switching from college to professional uh like how much does that affect your game how much does that affect like the meta being at the plate and and kind of how does that affect your game yeah i mean i think you would agree with me too cody like once you get to a certain level i mean a good hitter is a good hitter uh you could give them a you know, like you can give people, a you know, like a, a stick and they're still able to hit. Like, that's how it feels sometimes. Um, it doesn't really impact elite or higher level players as much. Um, I, I guess I could say like in high school and stuff when we were a lot younger and we switched to BB core bats, like a lot of high school coaches went a lot more conservative, um, you know, playing a lot more small ball. But it really doesn't – it has not affected uh, – higher levels of baseball, in my opinion. Um, A lot of things have been done to combat the changing in bats. And, I mean, Cody, you could probably say the same thing. Like, um, minor league baseballs are even – I think they're even thinner than NCAA baseballs. You know, they they thin them out, and the seams are a lot smaller than to help them carry a little bit better. Yeah. So I I wouldn't say gears that much of a difference or a game changer for, you know, mine and Cody's standpoint at least. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. Right. Yeah, uh, the big league balls though, like they really minor league balls are like pretty similar. Like they're they're the late the seams are definitely smaller than than yeah. uh, college college baseballs. But um, when you get to big league balls, like those things fly. 
yes are they 100%, juiced 100 are they juiced, juiced like they say we have like <laughs> so when we have guys that like will do like rehab assignments with minor league teams so if it's like a pitcher like i'm trying to think of a oh, this is guy this guy's random i don't know if you guys will know him his name's jesse han but he's been in the big leagues for a little bit i think actually i don't know I know he's a big leaguer, but he came and did a rehab assignment. And so when those guys come and they pitch, they throw us big league balls. And you could just tell, like, and they toss them over our dugout. You could just tell those things are <laughs> flying, like, ridiculous. And everyone's velos up, too, when you throw them. So that's, so that's, uh, that's real as well. So do you buy into that conspiracy from the last postseason that, like, the balls were juiced all season? And then, like, they just changed them out, like, right before postseason? Are you, are you buying into that? They changed them out. <laughs> they definitely... <laughs> I think that was the least of and the, I might have that. the last World Series. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you ever just, uh, you know, as a pitcher or as a hitter, just hear, like, random noises coming from the dugout that, you know, you have questions about? <laughs> that would be hilarious if that happened in my league Jeez. baseball. <laughs> That would be funny. Oh, man. <laughs> just uh, one last question before we wrap it up here. Thank you guys for coming on again. Um, just one last thing I guess we can ask is, uh, what kind of legacy do you think you left? Uh, this question for both of you at your respective colleges with South Carolina and Wake Forest. Well, Cody's is that he's a pretty boy. Um, clearly, because he's like to be that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I think the legacy I would have left is that I was someone who just worked really hard and, and wanted to um perform and just be the best player I could be and I think um one thing I actually do remember my coach told me on one of my last uh, exit interviews which is just at the end of the seasons is he told me is like say what you want about Jake Mueller but if you challenge that kid he's going to respond and I, I think that's a good legacy I left behind um for younger guys to see that as an example is just you know you got to keep pushing even when you know shit hits the fan and and things, things that aren't, you know, going your way. Uh, you just got to keep going and working hard. Yeah. Um, in terms of my legacy at South Carolina, um, I, re- <laughs> I really, I really wish that I could, I could add Omaha like onto my resume. Um, that was something that I really, uh, I really wished was on there. But um, I don't know. I feel like I, I came out and battled every start. Um, this is all basic stuff. I felt like I, uh, I always competed and gave my best. Um, but yeah, I mean that and he was always a good teammate. I can, I can attest to that for him too. I thought I was a good teammate. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I had one good year there and the other years I didn't really help. So I can't, I can't sit here and tell <laughs> you that I had a massive impact on Carolina baseball. Um, I wish I, I wish I had a bigger impact to be honest, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think I was a good teammate, and I think I uh, tried to, you know, help the program go in the right direction. And um, we almost had it. In yeah, you played a big. You played a big role in throwing a bit, slapping a bandaid on a uh, a bleeding program. In my in my opinion, you, yeah, you uh, fixed that wound a lot. You were a big part of that. Yeah, at least in 2018. Um, but we still didn't, you know, make the Omaha. So. I guess that's better than, than missing the Yeah, playoffs. but the achievement that you guys had with that team was very impressive. Yeah. yeah, that is a team that I think a lot of us as fans are going to remember for a while. So I definitely would say uh, it's something to be proud of, just from a fan's yeah. perspective, to be able to say you're a part of that team. That was a fun team. 
Um, that uh, that game, that regional in Greenville was sick. Um, Danny Blair. Oh, was, that was fun to watch. Danny Blair is my roommate all three years, and let me tell you what that kid like. <laughs> he came in as a high prospect, like a high recruit. Mm-hmm. Like, just had like just I thought constantly got shafted. Like, never got really enough opportunities. Um. Never complained though. The kid never complained. Like I respected the hell. He's a out good of him dude. I respected the hell out of him for that. He never complained. He would come home, you know, after a shitty game or whatever, or getting benched, and he had his three natty lights and he'd throw on his Fortnite headset every night, and not say a word about you know what's going on. But um, <laughs> for him to hit that that home run in the Greenville Regional was just like so sick. That was that's my favorite memory as a Carolina baseball player, and it's not even really involving me. Um, I definitely remember uh, Danny Blair being a, one of the underrated players because I, I think for a while he was just kind of known as that guy who would come in uh, just to run the bases really fast. Yeah. But you could tell he was more than that. Yeah. Just a lot of, I mean, to be fair, a lot of really good center fielders. I believe he played center mm-hmm. field. Uh, a lot of good center fielders over the years for this yep. team. Um, I've been following Carolina baseball. I was at Omaha in 2011 when we beat Florida. It was an absolutely incredible feeling. Uh, to say it's not as exciting now is uh, a stretch. I think it's it's pretty horrible compared to uh, how it was about ten years ago. Um, but yeah, well, that's we're, the Gamecock fan fallacy here. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. But uh, we're really happy to have had you guys on. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Um, that's uh, signing off from everyone on the Soda City sit-down episode this week. Uh, y'all stay safe.